This, uh, I, if you look in your bulletin, it might say Pastor Mike Dahl is bringing the word. And that was the plan. He texted a couple of us at 2.30 in the morning, very sick. And if Mike said he can't do it, he must be very sick. So uh, thankfully, Mike and the rest of the preaching team, we write our sermons manuscript. And so he sent it on and I got to read it this morning and practice it a couple times. And the good news is, these are not just Mike's words. We really believe on the preaching team that God is working through us as we write these words. Not that these are the inspired word of God to be added to the Bible, but it's something that the Lord is helping us prepare for the benefit of the congregation. And so uh, I'm the Aaron to Mike's Moses today, I guess, of delivering the word that was passed on to him. Uh, But this, this is a good word for all of us. So I hope that's not distracting. Don't think of this as Mike's words because this comes across as it's just, it's just a word that we all need to hear. And I hope that it's edifying and beneficial to you all this morning. Um, also, I just want to shout out the box. That was really good on the Hope Candle. I don't even know if I need to preach. We could just call it good there of everything that, that Lindsay and Jason said and, and just dismiss. But we'll still do a sermon this morning if you guys are okay with that. We're going to be in John 1. If you guys want to start turning your Bibles there, John 1. Uh, So as we go through our Advent season the next few weeks, we're going to be breaking down this first chapter of of John 1. And then this this morning, though, we're going to consider verses 1 through 5 together. And John 1 is going to compel us to consider who is Jesus. The Barna Group, George Barna is this Christian research guy, he did a recent survey that explored how most Americans answer that question, who is Jesus? 93% of Americans believe Jesus Christ was a real person who actually lived, that he was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. It's a fact for most people that Jesus was a historical figure. And if you have someone who says, I think Jesus is a myth, I mean, tell them to read any history book. There's a guy named Jesus that we know lived in this time period that had a huge following and, and influence on the world. However, far less believe that Jesus existed before that first Christmas day as the eternal son of God. We see in John's writing, if you go to the end of his gospel in John chapter 20, the purpose for him writing this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's made crystal clear in verses 30 through 31, where John writes, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the purpose of John is primarily evangelistic, to persuade unbelievers to believe in Jesus and to strengthen believers so that by believing, you may have life in his name. John 1 here at the beginning is going to argue for the divine origins of Jesus Christ. John Calvin said about the book of John, the other gospels show us Christ's body, whereas John shows us Christ's soul. So who is Jesus? Well, our time in John 1 this Advent will show us the depths of the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that the glory of God really came in the flesh. Uh, Before we jump into this, let's just take a quick moment to pray uh, for Mike, for this sermon, for the rest of our, our time together, and then we'll, we'll break down John 1 here this morning. Uh, God, we, we need to hear from you uh, today. Give us hearts to confess and repent 
and believe and adore you. Uh, God, I need your help. I pray that uh, you would help me communicate your word clearly and that we will hear uh, what you have for us today. Shine the light of the gospel on us today. Also pray for our brother Mike. You just will be with him. Uh, you take care of him and he would be in your rest this morning. Open your word to us and open us to your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's, let's jump into John 1, 1 through 5. If you're not there yet in your Bible, then we'll read this. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is an incredible introduction to the Gospel of John. I mean, this is some of the most profoundly uh, deep and rich theological verses in all of Scripture, and this is just how John gets us going here. The opening five verses here point us to just how glorious Jesus is, how marvelous Jesus is. My prayer for us this Advent season is that we will prepare him room in our hearts by focusing on just how marvelous Jesus is and that we will fixate on the glory and grace of Jesus during Advent and that in doing so, we will be changed. So there's going to be three movements in our text today. You see the outline on the screen. First, the first three verses, in the beginning was the word. We'll break that down. Second, in him was life in verse four. And then third, the darkness has not overcome it. In verse 5. So first, in the beginning was the word. How, how does verse 1 start? We get this phrase, in the beginning, and I hope hearing those words reminds you of some other part of Scripture. Anything pop into mind when you hear in the beginning? should take us all the way back to Genesis, right? The first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis takes us back to the beginning and moves us forward in history, but here in John 1, we're taken back to the beginning, and then we're taken back before the very beginning of the universe itself. So by echoing Genesis and the opening of his gospel, John is saying that the starting point of the gospel is before the very beginning of the universe itself. That's crazy when you think of it like that, that this has all been planned out before the beginning of the universe itself. The origin story of Jesus doesn't have a fixed point in time because Jesus isn't created. We, we had uh, some, some brains getting tied in knots at middle school youth group last week as we were kind of talking about eternity and when this all began. You can't go back far enough for the beginning of Jesus. He simply is. He always has been for eternity past. There's always been Jesus. There's no starting point like your linear, feeble mind wants to put a starting point of Jesus at. By opening within the beginning and calling to mind Genesis, John is signaling that a new creation has come through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the story of Christmas doesn't start with, it was the night before Christmas and all through the house. No, the story of Christmas begins all the way back in eternity past. In the beginning was the word. That's the beginning of the Christmas story. In verses one through three, we learn four things about the word. First, we learn the word is a person. Notice that he starts verse two. It's no longer the word, it's a he. And second, the word is a divine person. The word was God, he is divine. Third, he's not kind of divine. 
But verse 3 shows us he is an uncreated divine person. Through him, everything was made. Everything that exists got its beginning through him. This means the word doesn't have a beginning. He's the uncreated creator. And then fourth in verse four, we see that the word is the source of all life. Later in verse 14 of chapter one, John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word here is saying, this is Jesus. The word is God in flesh. These are glorious truths that really would take decades to unpack, volumes of, of systematic theology books that you're free to borrow, loads and loads of sermon series, but there's just one central claim that we're going to focus on this morning. The primary thing John says about who Jesus is, is that Jesus is the Word. So, so we need to make sure we're clear. What does it mean that Jesus is the Word? Well, the Word in the Old Testament is God's powerful self-expression. It's how he communicates to his people who he actually is. By being the word, this means Jesus Christ is the ultimate personified expression of God. All that God had revealed about himself previously at this point in biblical history through his word, it now reaches its ultimate climax in the person of Jesus. There's a, a quote from Henry Van Dyke, my second favorite Van Dyke after Dick Van Dyke, but Henry Van Dyke was a, uh, a Christian author and pastor back in the 1800s. He says this, the birth of Jesus is the sunrise of the Bible. Towards this point, the aspirations of the prophets and the poems of the psalmist were directed as the heads of flowers now turned toward the dawn, meaning Jesus. John uses a Greek word very deliberately here for the word. That word is logos. Some people say logos. We're going to go with logos because it has an omicron in there, right, Eric? Jesus Christ is the logos. That's a word with a lot of philosophical, cultural, and linguistic weight to it. John is making a radical claim about Jesus here by saying that Jesus is the logos. Philosophers uh, in the time of the original audience, the, the them and then that John was writing to, they looked at nature and they saw balance and order and harmony. And they believed that behind all of this was this cosmic spiritual principle, uh, th this order that they called the logos. So the logos was a, a, an impersonal divine structure of the cosmos as a whole, some absolute cosmic order that the world is outworking from. So the logos is like the idea of a direction manual for reality. For example, when Mike got a new chainsaw last year, because I'm not getting a chainsaw, no one would give me a chainsaw. What would I even use it for? When Mike got a chainsaw last year, it came with an instruction manual, basically the logos of the chainsaw. It explains what it's designed to do. So logos means word, and it means the purpose or reason, the reason for existence. So the chainsaw came with a logos with directions on what it's built to do, what it's designed for. It gives instructions on how to use it and how not to use it, right? So this idea of logos was kind of like that. The philosophers thought that the universe had a logos and we should align our lives with it. And then we could be content when our lives are in harmony with the logos. But if, if you're not aligned with the ultimate reality of life, then you'll hurt yourself. Like you could hurt yourself with a chainsaw, which is why I don't have a chainsaw and Mike does. All this to say, 
All of the Greek and Eastern philosophers up to this point of John believed that the heart of the universe was impersonal. Then John 1 hits, and it hits like a nuclear blast. John says in the beginning, there was a logos, and yes, everything is designed through him, but add on top of it, this logos wasn't abstract or impersonal. No, the logos is a divine person to be believed and known and loved. By believing in this divine person, in the word, then you're connected to the heart of reality. You see how amazing and how glorious this is that God has provided a way for us to personally know the thing that makes all of reality exist as it's supposed to be. The Logos is personal from eternity past with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit loving one another and creating the world. The beginning of the Christmas story has more majesty and glory in it than our minds can even conceive and more wonder than our hearts can hold. Later in John 17, 5, Jesus self-identifies as the word who has existed from all eternity past. It's verses like these that makes me think, how could you ever say Jesus never claimed he was God? John 17, 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Yeah, he was just a good teacher. No, he's claiming to be something a little more than that. The word, the logos, it's not a principle, it's a person. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos is Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our second emphasis. In him was life. Let's look at verse four again. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Life and light are are pretty common religious symbols, right? Here in John 1, life and light focus our attention on the majesty of Jesus. The word, the life of Jesus Christ is so breathtakingly radiant that it provides life for all of mankind. I had a a professor back at Corbin, this is a me, not a Mike thing, that he used to say all the time, Jesus, who created and sustains all of the universe in his humility, allows himself to have his bottom wiped by a teenage mother while still being the Logos who was holding all of life and creation together. That's, I, I always love that. What humility and what majesty on the part of Jesus to do that. Again, this echoes the creation order back in Genesis 1. Just as in creation, light shines in darkness, right? God said, let there be light. So also the light of redemption shines through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what does it mean that in him was life? Well, from the rest of John, we can see that the life John has in view is mainly new spiritual life, saving life, the gift of eternal life. For example, later in John, in chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In order to not die spiritually, we need this life of Jesus. We need his light in order to not walk in darkness, don't we? Think about it. Jesus is the life that has existed from all eternity past, the life that all things were made through, the life that is light for all of mankind. It took this glorious of a light to come into the darkness to bring life. Only the life of Jesus makes seeing possible. Only by by seeing the glory of the light and light of Jesus do we truly see the sinfulness of our own sin. Only when we begin to see the greatness of Jesus coming as fully God and fully man 
do we begin to see the depths of how sinful we really are. The light of Jesus comes to tell us the truth about the depth of our sinfulness and the glory of his grace. Blaise Pascal, one of the all-timers, Christian philosophers and theologians, he said this, the incarnation shows man the greatness of his wretchedness through the greatness of the remedy required. Let me read that again. The incarnation, Jesus, God, creator of all things, the word, taking on human flesh, that's the incarnation, shows man the greatness of his wretchedness through the greatness of the remedy required. The light of Jesus shows us our deep darkness, doesn't it? The darkness inside us and in the world around us. Well, what becomes of this light and darkness? That brings us to the third and final emphasis in verse 5, that the darkness has not overcome it. Let's Let's read verse 5 again. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Other translations say, and the darkness has not understood it. So which is it? Does the darkness not overcome the light or does the darkness not understand the light? Well, it's really interesting. This word can be translated as either. John carefully chooses a Greek word that's very ambiguous. Uh, the word has a semantic range that can, it can mean overcome to understood. Uh, D.A. Carson in his excellent commentary on John says, this word is a masterpiece of planned ambiguity. That is a good line. It's kind of like the word master in the English language. What does it mean to master someone? Well, it could mean you just beat someone at a game, right? You just mastered someone in chess or on the golf course, or I master any of you in any trivia challenge you challenge me to. Bring it on. Or like how Mike brings us up often at the office, continues to be mastered by his five-year-old son, Owen, in the game of memory, which makes me a little bit concerned about Mike, but you know, we'll, we'll work on that. We're, we, we practice. Master could also mean you figured someone out, right? You've mastered them. Like what you do if you read all of someone's books and you understand them completely, you've mastered them. Well, just like in John's day, there are many who reject that Jesus is the Logos. What's interesting about verse five is that it shows us there are two ways to reject Jesus. The first is you can either be hostile to Jesus or just outright reject his claim of being God. There are many against Jesus being the Logos because they reject the whole idea of absolute truth or the ultimate reality of a Logos. These people might agree that Jesus existed as a historical figure, even was a profound moral or spiritual teacher, but they don't receive Jesus as God. They're okay with Jesus when it's a Jesus of their making who likes what they like and despises who they despise. They are, are many in and around our city who would reject Jesus like this. Or you can also reject, reject Jesus by thinking you're following him, but not really understanding him, not really comprehending who Jesus actually is. There are many who, who strive to live by a moral standard, many who seek to align themselves with the logos, with the, the deep logic of reality by their spiritual and religious performance by what they do or don't do, as if that will bring their soul in harmony with the Logos. But that that misses the whole point. The only way to embrace Jesus, to receive him as the word, is to believe him on his own terms, to embrace him in the fullness of who he claims to be, the preexistent son of God who graciously takes our darkness and gives us life and light. 
You reject Jesus if you think the dim light of your moral effort earns his grace in any way. The truth of Jesus clearly proves the darkness of our sin problem and the grace of Jesus is the only holy light and perfect love that cleanses us from our sin. Only in the light of Jesus can we truly see who we are. The fullness of the glory of the light of Jesus is grace upon grace upon grace. It's grace at the bottom, grace at the top, and grace every step in between. You don't understand Jesus and you reject him if you come to Jesus offering him anything but your need for him. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Notice what John says about the light. It's not a light that only shone in the past. Rather, it's a light that shines in the darkness right now. And GBC, I think this is a word that we need right now. Many of you have had a very trying last year or couple years, if we're being honest. Some of you have experienced loss, even death of a loved one. Some of you are going through some relational hurt or significant health problems. As a church, we, we went through a lot of change this last year. And change can be a form of loss, especially when it's not a change that we chose. When looking at John 1, it brings to mind the light and darkness this time of year brings for so many. Light with the excitement of the holidays and all that that brings. But darkness, though, for many, especially for those who have experienced loss around this time of year. We bring all of this uh, with us here today as we hear from John 1. That's why I want to press verse 5 into the shadows of our hearts, into the places of grief and anxiety and even doubt. Verse 5 is really good news for us right now and in, in, in all of you that you're carrying inside of you to church today because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This means that even the valley of the shadow of death holds no real darkness for those who are in Christ. That's the hope that we're lighting the candle for right there. That's because Jesus is the light and there must be light or else there couldn't be a shadow, right? For the Christian though, darkness is only a shadow because, the light, uh, because of the light of Jesus Christ. Verse five points us to the truth that Jesus lived the perfect life that I should have lived and that he died the death I deserve to die for my sin. Verse five fixes our gaze on the cross where Jesus took on darkness by taking the full punishment for sin by a holy God. The punishments each of us deserve for my sin, for your sin. And then at the dawn on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, proving for all time, he is who he said he was. At the cross, Jesus exposed and conquered the darkness. He took the sting of sin and death in himself. And because of the cross, the darkness of death has an expiration date. The light of Jesus is a sure hope and a guide you can trust, even as you walk through the shadows in this life. Because the light shines in the darkness and the shadows do not overcome the light. No matter what you're walking through or no matter what you're going to be walking through in this next year, Jesus is the light that guides us through the wilderness of our despair, of our loss, our depression, our pain. Jesus is the light bringing about the new creation, undoing the darkness of our sin, of our fear, our shame, our anxiety, our uncertainty. Who is Jesus? Jesus really is who he said he is, the light of the world that's leading us home. 
Verse five should also stir deep anticipation in us who are Christians because it points us to the light of the second advent when Jesus will return and the light of his presence will illuminate the city of God on the new heavens and the new earth. When Christ returns, he will make all things new. And this is hope that's not a, this is not a wishful thinking hope. This is a hope of assurance, of confidence that this will come to pass. John also wrote the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And it tells us that in the new creation, there will be no need for a sun because the glory of God will shine brighter than 10,000 suns. And apparently our new created bodies can handle that kind of light because that sounds pretty bright to me. We will walk in the light and experience the pure everlasting joy of Christ's presence and his kingdom for all eternity future, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It won't stop. It'll make your brain hurt at night thinking about it. And there will be no need, or excuse me, there'll be no end to the light of his life and love and joy. Revelation 22.5 says this, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Do you ever wonder at the glory of it all, of how amazing the truth and promises of Jesus are, of what of all that Advent means, one day, for those of us in this room who worship Jesus, we will experience the perfect light and joy of the new heavens and new earth together. Someday, because of Jesus, we'll experience the light of the second Advent and life everlasting together. We'll be there together. So who is Jesus? The historical man Jesus is God and the miracle and majesty of Christmas is that the God of the universe became flesh and lovingly revealed himself to the world through the person of Jesus Christ. Why believe in Jesus Christ? Many years ago, a British king asked that question to a missionary. The king asked what believing in Jesus would mean. And the missionary replied, wonder upon wonder and every wonder true. I pray this is true for you, that you've come to believe in Jesus, the eternal word of God, that in Jesus, you know, wonder upon wonder and every wonder true. If you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, let me encourage you today, prepare him room in your life through confession and repentance. Confess the darkness of your sin. Repent of rejecting Jesus and trust in his saving life. Only in Jesus will you find the life and light that will satisfy your soul today and forever. So John 1 is the true story of Christmas. While our world still remains in darkness, the light of the gospel shines bright amidst the darkness because Jesus is the true king who rules with grace and rules with truth and love. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The story of Advent is is the greatest story ever told. Its beginning is from eternity past and goes into eternity future because Jesus is the Logos. Oh, come, let us adore him when we hear these truths proclaimed. So how does the Christmas story start? Well, like this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray together. God, we we praise you for the gospel. 
We praise you for Jesus, that in him is life and light, that his light shines in the darkness and, and the darkness has not overcome it. God, we, we still live in a dark world and we need your hope. For those who are, are hurting today, comfort them with your grace and truth. God, I pray that you would strengthen us with your life and with your light and grow us in a deeper desire to know you and to make you known. We praise you for Jesus' first coming and we praise you for the wonder of it all, for grace and truth and wonder upon wonder. May we be a people of the first advent who live in hope for the second advent. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.